Well, Gina here. We've got some big changes coming to the Postlight podcast that we can't wait to tell you about. While we get things ready, we're taking a few weeks off from recording new episodes. While we get our act together, we're sharing some of our favorite episodes pulled from the Postlight podcast archives. Big announcements are coming soon, so do stay tuned. In the meantime, enjoy this classic favorite. See you soon. Unique New York. Unique New York. Unique New York. You know you need unique New York. (laughs) Red leather, yellow leather. Okay. Welcome to the Postlight Podcast. I am Chris Lasacco, the president of Postlight, a digital strategy, design, and engineering firm based here in New York City. And I am joined, as always, by my co-host and partner in this business, Gina Trapani. How are you, Gina? I'm doing well today. Doing Great. well. I would like to talk today about how we do our work, which is kind of what we talk about every time we get we on the do. podcast, We talk I guess. about how we do our work a lot. But it's... <laughs> Love it, though. Never tire of talking about how we do our work. Never tire. I mean, if nothing else, we like to share the good and the bad about this business, and hopefully That's people right. can derive some value from it. I mean, making software is just messy. It's messy and chaotic. And it's messy. So it, it needs a lot of talking about. because we It needs a lot of talking about. Constantly figuring things out. You know, I came to product management before product management was really a title. And I think even today, we've talked about this before. Like if you ask a product manager, what does product management mean? You ask 10 people, you're going to get 10 different answers. And there's going to be some overlap, but there's a lot of room for interpretation when it comes to how do you run a successful software product? And there's product manager versus product owner versus, you know, I mean, there's like manager. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are 17 different permutations of what is, you know, kind of like the same role. But what would be maybe interesting to talk about is there are some firms that embrace a particular way of doing things. They say, we are an agile shop or we are scrum or we are Kanban. And this is what we do. And we want to train our people to know that process inside and out. So that when you join, you go through the boot camp or, I mean, you can get certified in these things now. Yes. And once you know what it is, great. Now you can come in and run that process. Mm-hmm. And we've taken a different stance. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with those approaches, but the way we've treated it is that there is no post-light way. That's right. There's no training document that you can read or slide deck that you can go through that says, here's exactly how you run a project at Postlight. And, and, you know, it is both great and terrifying, uh, I think, <laughs> when you when you join this company. And I would love to sort of talk with you about the pros and cons of doing things that way. Yeah. I mean, let's do this. Is, this let's do this. This has been a com- constant conversation during the seven years of, of the company's existence. And, you know, if you look at if you look at other shops that have these that are subscribe to either, you know, to a certain way of running projects like Agile or... Or they market and package up or commoditize like they you know they, they give it a name and they say we do the the big think or whatever it is or the, right. you right. know With a little this, trademark symbol uh, special build you know and like right. this is these are the steps that you go through and you have these beautiful slides and it's just all packaged up and you're just you look at that and you're like that makes a lot of sense yeah I want to yeah. run my stuff through that yeah. particular Rube Goldberg machine and sees what comes out at the end like that that these people seem like they know exactly what they want to do and I gotta tell you you know when I, there was a time and I was running marketing at Postlight and I was like should we 
you know, should we think about something like this? We flirted with it a little bit with Relay, our, our design sprint. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. we can name it something. And But for the most part, overall, we've made, we've kind of put our stake in the ground and said, actually, custom software, which is what we build for our clients. We, you know, we're not a particular kind of shop that builds a particular kind of thing and a particular kind of size, a particular kind of technology, right? Like every project that we do is unique, requires just... Uh, the, the ability to, you know, custom fit your process to the, the client, to what needs to be done, which yes. is a pretty controversial take, right? <laughs> especially well, for incoming PMs who we just hire. <laughs> that, I mean, that's the thing. And, we, you know, we've invested some energy in how we do project oversight, right? Across right. many active projects. This is our core process, Q-O-R-E, quality, opportunity, risk, relationship, and efficiency, which we wrote about extensively mm-hmm. in the handbook we just, we published on on our website. But when it comes to project work, yeah, we give our teams a lot of autonomy. And and you said to me in the past, like we work on the movie model. We work on the idea that you get, you know, a great director and a great cinematographer and great, a a, a great cast and, uh, and a fantastic crew. And you put them together and you have a vision for the movie and, and then you let them go do their thing. And Mm -hmm. you don't say, here's exactly what you need to do on a day by day, week by week basis. And I think there's tremendous flexibility uh, in terms of what those teams are then able to, how they're able to self-organize. That's right. And you just said, you know, it's also important that every client is different. We do client work. So how do we make sure that our process is mapping to our clients? And that is so critical because do some clients want to really embrace iterations and sprints and story points and the like? Yeah, they do. But not every client does. Some clients, they really value predictability or they have a very strict release cycle where you have to be thinking about it. Or, you know, some clients want to be in JIRA with you and other clients don't even want to know about JIRA. Right. They don't know what JIRA is. They don't want to know. Yeah, That's right. And so being able to define what is right for the situation is a, a tremendously powerful thing, but it does require that the team embraces the work. The work is what I want to say of, of, of doing that setup because every single time you can't take it for granted that you know the checklist that you have to follow, you know? That's right. Oh, I know how to do sprint planning. I've done it on my three previous projects. And it's like, well, on this project, you have to be explicit about what version of sprint planning or not is going to work for this team, this environment, this client. That's right. And it adds a lot of a lot of overhead. I mean, and, and you know, in some projects we're side by side with the client sitting next to them and working with them. So we want to maintain that flexibility and adaptability to work with them, meet them where they are, right? Yep. Work with them the way they prefer to work with them, work themselves. And other times, you know, we're just greenfield on our own, you know, just start it like and we're and it's up to our team to say, okay, y'all, here are the tools we're going to use. Here, here's our meeting cadence. Here's how we're going to talk to one another. Here's how we're going to estimate there's a, an investment up front that has to happen because there's no yes. assumptions because everyone is coming from a different project that did things maybe, you know, in a particular way. It doesn't mean that's going to be the same in their next project. I mean, this this is, I think, works, you know, well and is justifiable in an agency context when everyone is working on different client projects. Like I can imagine somebody in-house listening to this right now and thinking, that is totally inefficient and weird. Why, you know, why wouldn't you have company-wide sort of standards for how, how you do things, right? I see you kind of shaking maybe. your head back and forth because, you know, I mean, maybe maybe more autonomy and more like, hey, why don't you figure out how you want to work together versus follow the the company formula is a, is a better way. I think it's worth that consideration. Here's the thing I want to ask you, though. Do you think the company formula 
is adequate to answer all the questions that come up when a team is working together, even if it's an in-house team with a presumably a shared understanding about where they're going? No, I don't. I think that a prescribed process kind of it, it invites folks to just sort of I think that you kind of default to or lean back on the process. It discourages some critical thinking. And I think that particularly when you're working in strategy and innovation, like the whole point is that you burn the whole thing down and you just, you think big and you ask these fundamental questions. Like it's just part, part of that process is, is doing that. Right. (laughs) I'm saying part of the process is not having a process, but, but you just, if you, you know, if you, if you hire in an employee and you say, okay, I give them the training. Okay. Steps one through 30, here's how we run this particular process. It just, at that point, you know, you're just you're just going through the motions. You're on the assembly line, exactly. right? And you're not thinking like, wait, this could be better if we did this. Like, it doesn't fit into the boxes here, but this could be better, right? And so you want to create. I mean, part of what we do is create that space for we're, we're outsiders. We're coming in. We don't know anything. We are not wedded to any of your culture or processes, or we haven't had any of your trainings. Uh, so we're gonna just start from the beginning here because you, you're asking for different thinking when you when you're trying to make great product, when you're trying to make a big change, create a system that is gonna you know make things better in your business, and and it's hard to do that thinking when inside a a training. <laughs> you know, process that you got trained on. It draws a, a box around you. It draws yeah. your little playpen, and it and yeah. it's so easy to not even think about what's outside of that playpen if it's yeah. drawn for you. I've seen it really handcuff teams and their ability to like do not even do like groundbreaking innovative stuff, but right. just do anything that's outside of like going through the backlog and handling yeah. you know small bug fixes. Like, and you come in and you're like. But what what are you doing? And they're like, well, we're getting through, you know, 14 points a sprint. And you're like, what is happening? It's so funny. When I think about Agile, I go back to like the original Agile manifesto, right? Which yep. is individuals and interactions over processes and tools, yes. working software over comprehensive documentation, customer mm-hmm. collaboration over contract negotiation, mm-hmm. and responding to change over following a plan. Those are the original tenets. And it's fascinating to me that you get, you know, product managers and companies who are like, well, we're at, you know, we're agile. That is how we build software. And then you go in and it's in some situations, it's the opposite of this. It's like, well, we don't want to talk to the customers because we have our backlog and we need to story point it, you know, or we we are going to, we're going to focus on making sure our confluence is looking really great instead of, no, you got to think about what you're building and make sure you're building the thing. And if you're too capital P process, you lose the idea that the process is just a means to an end. It's like, a means to an end. That's that is right. not the thing you should be thinking about. The thing you should be thinking about is the platform that you're building or the product that you're launching. And unfortunately, especially for people early in their career, I think it's too easy to lose sight of it if, you, if you're heavy handed with Here's how we do things. Right. You did five points this week and not seven. Like what's wrong? Right. Right. But, <laughs> exactly. But like, why? Why? What are we doing? And, and, and does this, does this align with what we're trying, which, what we're trying, are we delivering value to the user? Right. Like those are the conversations I've been in. Gosh, I've been in so many sprint planning meetings where I just, my soul like left my body, like floated out the window. Cause I was just like, <laughs> where I don't even know what are we even doing? Like, <laughs> right. what are we doing here? You know, I was like, well, okay. You know, you like estimate how long you make the burn down. Okay. Like, right. And it's just, it's all this meta work around things that are just not going to move, you know, that now there are some teams that I've seen do it really well and they use 
sprint planning sessions to say, let's make sure we have a common understanding about where we're going so that we can run really fast after we have this understanding. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to story point things because we have a bunch of new engineers on the team. And so we're going to use story points as a method of communication or, you know, in our world, We've often uh, championed T-shirt sizes, which are like yes. you know, it's a it's a version of story points where right. it's like let's think about when something is small, medium, large, extra large, and then if something's extra large, it's like a you know big flare that goes up that says, oh, we've got to unpack we something. We got to break this down. We got to break right. this down. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about the importance of estimation at length, I think, on the show, and and that you know that there's a real there's real value there. But it's when you get too married to the abstractions that the problems start to come in. That's right. And the reason why I think we've been pretty adamant that we're not going to decide on one particular way of doing things is because we we want to avoid exactly that happening. We want to avoid people mistaking, I, I really get the steps, um, instead of thinking, what does the client care about? And what is that next milestone? And what what expectations have we set and how are we exceeding those expectations? Those yes. are the kinds of questions that we ask in our core sessions, in our core process, right? Those are the things we really care about, about the project or about the client. And it's not the, you know, tell me how you're performing on your burn down. That's right. I mean, I'll say there is one post-light way, which is like giving people that room you know, we've called it, you know, Duplos and not Legos, right? Like t-shirt sizes, you know, small, medium, large, extra large is a version of story points, just a lot less granular, right? Like I I don't want to argue with a PM or have a PM arguing about whether or not something should be five points versus eight points, right? Like, like, but you know, small, medium, large is they're bigger blocks. And I think that those bigger blocks, you don't get necessarily the absolute precision. Like we, you know, we also like, we don't count hours. (laughs) We don't have people do time sheets and count hours, right? Because it's just, you know, what value you're delivering in the time that you're spending. You know, we, we also like we we avoid these like super detailed Gantt charts, you know, mm-hmm. with these cascading dependencies. And if one thing goes a day long, then the whole, you know, all the dominoes fall. We, we kind of make this big blocky chart. We think about this about a time is going to be discovery. Right. But we but in, in doing that and being just a little bit more generic and less precise you get you're you're saying to your team like i know you're going to figure it out we know a things are going to change and we know you're going to figure it out and also yes. like we expect you team to be talking to one another and working with one another in a way that works the best like it's very heavy-handed some of these processes are just so heavy-handed that it like takes the thinking out of like the talented professionals who are like who are solving very complex problems that's right that's exactly right and and you said it before what we want to encourage with our projects is critical thinking right internally and externally we want people to think about the choices that they are making and think about the choices that their clients are making so that they can help contribute to them, right? And I and reinforce the ones that feel like good choices and and hopefully redirect or change the ones that feel like bad choices. And if you are not thinking critically, instead if you are following the predefined steps that have been laid out in the, you know, onboarding 101 doc, you lose that entire motivation. And I would posit it's not about job levels. Like I think this this sort of approach naturally lends itself to more senior people, which is how yes. we started the company. We hired right. a lot of senior people. I've been really surprised uh, in a positive way that our associate level product managers, designers, and engineers, the ones who are really good, embrace this. They yeah. like the fact that they don't have you know a template that they've got to sit within. They like the fact that they've got room to run and they can really connect with what the ultimate outcome is going to be and go after it. 
And this is not out of the realm of possibility for people who are early in their careers. Mm -hmm. In fact, it can be very, now you have to, you have to have oversight, right? Which is again, where I come back to our core process and being, being able to check in on how things are going and course correct where needed. That is important. But I don't think this way of working is incompatible with hiring junior people. Yes, I, I think that's right. As, and as long as you as long as you set their expectations and say you're getting this freedom, you're getting some more autonomy, you're going to learn a lot about yourself and the tools that you like to use and your team. You're going to make mistakes and realize that didn't work, and you have to adjust. And that's a particular, I think that's a particular personality that that like likes that and wants that, you know, that freedom and autonomy, and doesn't want want the checklist. I totally agree. I totally agree. But I do. I want to be honest though about some of the cons. To, to this kind of freedom. Go for it. There have been times, and this this surprised me, and it was somewhere between like 40 people and 100 people that this started to happen, mm-hmm. where you know we would start to get this question. This question would come up again. What's the process for X? Like, wh- what's the process for X? And in a lot of cases, and, and I'm even talking about just like internal internal things, operational sure. things. And I'd also be like, there's no process. Talk to a person, you know, like the, I, we don't have a form and a system and a platform. You just, you just talk to a person, right? But after a while that starts to not scale, right? And so you sort of have to put some, some processes in place. And, and there are times when we'd have, you know, a new, a new PM or a new engineer and they would say, you know, in their first week, you know, any questions about Postlight? How do people do X? Like what? So how do we do this here? Like what? At what, the company you know, level, you're saying. At the company level, yeah. but even on a pro- on a project, like where can, do you, do do we use Jira here? Do we use shortcut? Do we like Trello? Like what? Would be, and our question, our answer would be, it depends. It depends on the project, and <laughs> right. it depends on the team you're on. And, and we would get like some confused looks. Right. And I and I think that that it does add that overhead at the beginning of the project where everyone has to see. It. Not only the beginning, it's it's something that throughout the course of the project you have to course correct and get with your team and and check in how are things going. The choosing the tools, figuring out the communication cadence, the you know how we're communicating to the client, how we're communicating to one another. We have to figure that out kind of fresh every time. That's right. And and there have been times when I think the the disciplines, uh, you know, product management, engineering, and design. I think that those teams come together and talk about prior art what are other you know we try to learn from every engagement that we have what worked well what didn't work well oh, i'll try this okay that didn't you know and and we have tools that become popular for a while and then and then fall away and that's that's, that's natural we we've also taken a very hands-off approach to if you want to use a new tool like we're product people we're there's product a new people. interesting tool out there and you want to use it go you for should it. go ahead and use it yep yeah yeah, you should know what, what's new and out there just to be informed. And you, and you, honestly, you don't really know things until you use them. Um, so we encourage that. It means that our SaaS software <laughs> bills are... <laughs> Are well, it's a constant. High. It's a constant. Yeah, it ticks up and down, right? right. Like we we always just, ask ourselves: Are people them. still using this? And how, you know, if so, do, can we reduce the user count? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so I think there's a little bit of like I think that I think folks that there's there can be a perception that there's a like this is inefficient. Why don't we just put a stake in the ground and say these? This is how we do things generally. You right. know, I mean, I kind of get that from the perspective of someone particularly new coming in and being, how do things happen here at Postlight? And the answer is like, you get to decide. You know, it, it can always be like maybe too much freedom. I don't well, know. I mean, I understand that. I think it still feels like the right trade off to me. Mm-hmm. But I understand that you, you're going to pay a little bit of a price inefficiency because you do have to invest up front, right? Yeah. When the cast and the crew and the director of the movie come together, they have to. They have to be explicit up front about how they're going to do things. Yeah. And if they're not explicit up front, that can also lead to problems because you can't 
you can't assume that you can fall back on a common understanding of things because there is no real common understanding. Like everybody kind of has their own flavor of it. Even people who have been at Postlight for, you know, two, three years, they have their own project experience, which may not translate into their next project. That's right. So I totally agree with you. It's one of the downsides that you you pay a little bit of a tax in efficiency because you've got to be explicit about these things. One thing, though, that is worth calling out that we've tried to do is create shared artifacts that can help that you can that you can tap into depending on what you decide for your team. There's this collection of things called the project toolkit, which is exactly what it sounds like. It is a toolkit of things you can use on a project. So it includes Yeah, it's a buffet rather than a yeah, seven course meal. (laughs) Right. And it includes client kickoff decks or, you know, engineering architecture diagrams or database approaches or uh, previous design systems or like how to how how we ran a three-day remote design sprint. Like those kinds of things are in the project toolkit. And so you're not always starting from nothing. Like you are required to put in the time and thought to figure out how your team wants to work. But then you can also draw on previous successes to accelerate how things go. You know, once you've laid the track down, there's a bunch of train cars that you can sort of take off the shelf and put on the track yes. so you can get your train going. Yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Being able to look at that buffet of prior art and say, oh, how did they do this here? Oh, that's interesting. That resonates with me. I'm going to use that pit, that piece. Oh, this doesn't really make sense for this project. It's like, you know, you're not starting, you know, from a blank page, right. but you still want to think critically, like, is this right for this client? Uh, and this is something we try to hammer home all the time. Is this right for this client? Does this make sense for this client? Right. right. Every, every client, in, in, particularly a post site, like is different, uh, different industries, different sizes, different funding, all all the th- different cultures. It takes that that critical thinking up front and throughout. I, you know, my hope is that giving that freedom and that autonomy and not being so prescriptive about exactly how we do our work just encourages folks to show that initiative to become leaders and say exactly i this this works from this works really well and look we've had some pms come in and say like i've run agile i i'm like i'm i love agile i like believe in the you know principles and and the, these are you know this is some of how i like to work and they would kind of run it and the team you know some light or modified version i mean we often say that we're like lowercase agile right lowercase a agile that's right yes the manifesto and the principles of agile absolutely 100 percent signed up but the the ceremonies and the (laughs) and the story points you you just don't you you don't hear you walk through the halls of post light you don't hear people talking about those things or if you do it's for a specific reason right that's right again i think this kind of way of working has been so positive for a client services company because we can meet our clients where they are, which is something we say all the time in so many different contexts. But if we've got a client who really connects with story points and understanding sizing and knowing how much they've got uh, in the backlog or ahead of them, especially when they think about the littler things or, or big new features, frankly, and we're working with, maybe we're working with a few engineers on their side. And so working in a in a more typical scrum way feels really natural to them. Great. We can we can do that. We can make that, but it's it's a conscious choice, right? It's more intentional than saying, well, this is this has been handed to me because this is just how we do things. This is how we do it. Yeah. yeah. So I have a, I have a question for you. 
and I actually don't know how you're going to answer this when we talk a lot. So this is going to be interesting. So, Bring it on. So before the pandemic, we uh, the we were always a remote friendly company, right? But we we always had our product managers and our product designers in New York City, in New York, yeah. coming to the office, right? And our engineering team was a split hybrid: some in the office, some remote. And the pandemic, you know, forced everyone to work remotely. And during that time, we started hiring our product managers and product designers remotely because we were all remote anyway. And it opens up the talent market. The talent market was, it was a, it was a necessary move that we had to make, mm-hmm. to make it. But before that, we had a pretty strong opinion, right? That product managers and product designers in particular should be in the same room and talking to one another, right? Because this, this autonomy and this freedom, it requires constant communication and yes. this like just being, being around one another and being near one another and being able to pull somebody into a conference room and put post-its up on the wall. So I'm, I'm curious to know if you think, so now now we're basically completely remote, no plans for everybody to come back into the office, right? It's gone really, really well. I'm incredibly proud of the team. We've delivered really good work in this you know, remote situation, even with product managers and product designers remote. But I'm curious if you think that this model of having more freedom, more flexibility, more autonomy was harder with folks who were hired and started and never had that like time together because right because we weren't even doing like all company meetings um was that harder was there friction and did it affect the way that we work i think the answer is yes i think it was harder yeah the answer is yes right yeah. it, it was harder we're human beings we run off of interpersonal relationships that mm-hmm. is just the kind of animal we are and i think it is objectively harder to build interpersonal relationships over a video screen than it is in person. That is, that's just real. And I remember we, we hired our first remote head of product and she said, when we get together in person, the value that I get from it is not getting work done. It's being able to build those relationships so that when we go to do the work, we have some of those relationships in place that we can fall back on. And then yes. once that is happening, if the whole team is distributed, it doesn't matter because we've gotten really good at the mechanics of working together over video calls and Slack and, you know, comments and pull requests and all the, like these things are, are sort of normal and natural. Right. But the team dynamics part of it, the like knowing and getting each other as people and yes. and because the best functioning teams have a you know, you, we don't all have to be like best friends, but there's a personal connection, connection. Mm-hmm. that is so helpful. And it just, it's harder to do when you're not in the same room. And I think it's specifically hard for product managers and product designers. When you are creating something new, there's like this intense collaboration that happens yes. at the beginning of a project. Or I, I would maybe put like technical architects in the same category where, you know, you kind of have to like bandy about a bunch of ideas that may be bad. If you're meeting someone for the first time, like, you know, not literally the first time, but like you're early in your personal history with this team and you're trying to figure this out at the same time that you're trying to get connected to them as people, it's really challenging. And I think we took for granted that you meet someone in the kitchen and you start to like fill in the gaps because it just sort of happens when you're in an office. I I will say though, I don't think it's impossible. I just think you have to be much more proactive about doing it, especially in the beginning of a project, right? When we have a client project kick off and the team comes together, we've tried to, to give them guidance to like spend time as a team first and figure out it's not just about how you're working, but like who, what drives you and who, you know, who are you as people and how do you make sure that you are connecting and supporting each other as best you can. And 
the teams that do that up front are far i was gonna say more efficient that's the wrong word like they're they're more uh in sync as the project work unfolds yeah i i totally i mean agree right and i think that you you do have to be more proactive you have to be more thoughtful about creating situations where you're meeting you know you're seeing one another you're talking to one another you're sharing with one another in chat about things that aren't necessarily about the work right because if you build trust between one another if you suck oh you know you figure out what things you have in common maybe you talk about some things that aren't work like like when that <laughs> you're right we're we're wired for relationships and that that social connection just when things are tough and you're like why isn't this thing done you, you're just you much more liable to give that other person the benefit of the doubt or to say like i know you're going through a hard time right now or i know you have whatever it is like knowing one another as people makes doing the work particularly in the stressful moments pre-launch is a very stressful moment uh, a bad meeting with, with a stakeholder can be a stressful moment and if those relationships are there the team is much more likely to weather it than all kind of be you know uh in their own separate sort of spaces going like ugh this team you know it's just it's harder to do when you're not see, you know running into one another you know it's, it's like to talk about the kitchen and the water cooler like that's a real thing it's a real thing so i agree that it's not impossible but it, it does you know it does require just more proactive like let's hang out or figure out ways to connect with one another about the work but also you know about other things and and feel like oh like i, I trust you i like working with you uh we're gonna get this done together and that always leads to better outcomes it, yeah exactly it's so important i remember early in my career when we would have like big launches and we and the team would all stay late yes. to like you know release something at 11 p.m. uh yeah. or something like that that's a big bonding moment and it's a big bonding moment exactly yeah. it should be it, it should be like oh god i got to stay late and i have to but i look back so fondly on those moments and think like oh that those were like you know we were all in the ship rowing the same direction like getting something right. across the finish line yep and it felt so good. And there's, you know, yes, you can do it on Zoom, but it's not, it's, you just have to be a little more intentional about it. And I think yeah. the best team, the best team leaders, and they don't have to come from, you know, a product management or product owner title. They can come from design and engineering too. Yes. Or content or community support. Like there, there are people who are about the connections between the team mm -hmm. alongside the work that's getting done and they will invest in them naturally. Like they will prompt those points of connection naturally. And it's so, so valuable as teams are thinking about their, how they work together and what their dynamics are and how they align around whatever it is they have to do. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty nuanced, I mean, I know, I know people who are, you know, really focused on their relationships with stakeholders and with their bosses and with their team, right. But, but to be fostering the relationships between your team members, right. And the dynamic in, in the room with your team. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right. Because your life is a lot easier when folks are, you know, happy to see one another and, and are, are willing to pick up slack or whatever it is. But yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that, that, and now that you say, it, I hadn't really thought about it that's that way, but now that you say that, yeah, I, I can think of, examples where you had team leaders and and leaders within the, the disciplines who pay attention to those things and try to foster those connections or create opportunities for those connections to happen. Right. If you take away the crutch of having the predefined, you know, workbook and it's like, I just got to fill in the blanks on this workbook and then I'm going to be running my project. If you take that away, you have to fill it in with a different kind of intention and effort and approach. And I think the the people who really connect with this way of working are the ones who will gravitate towards filling it in. 
and saying, I, I want to be thoughtful about my teammates, about how we're working together, about how we align around what we're going after. And sometimes that means embracing you know, a, a component of a particular way of working. And sometimes it means really resisting, you know, right. let's not be too let's onerous to about X, Y, or Z. And it's, you know, when it, when it works, man, it is the best. Like you just, you see the teams connect and go. Yes. And, I, and I've been a part of those teams and I see that happening, you know, across our company right now. And it's, it's fantastic. It is. It really is. I'm glad that we built a place that that's, you know, that's the the success state versus just running, running the process. Um, that's right. I guess, I guess you could, you could, you know, say that's the post light way. It's more freedom and autonomy. There you, know? you go. And fewer, fewer predefined checklists. Look at that. We had a post light way after all. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this and you are thinking, I would love to figure out how to bring that to my organization. We don't work like that. Or maybe you do work like this, but you want to find like minds who can join you to go achieve something big or take a big risk or or make your next big jump with your platform. We would love to talk to you. That is real. We love these conversations. Even if it doesn't lead to post-light work for us, that's okay. We just want to talk to you. We are software lovers and we want to make a change in this world and make people's lives easier by making better software. So if you would like to talk to us, please reach out. Hello at postlight.com. I read these emails. Gina reads these emails. We love to hear from you. Please hit us up and we'll, you know, if it makes sense to schedule time, um, we can even look at each other face to face. Or if you're in New York City and you want to make a personal connection, we've got a great office where we'd love to host you. Just stop by. Great. Thank you, Gina. This is fun, Chris. Thank you. Time to get back to work. Bye. Bye.